our friends at Stacking Pennies. It was a Gibbs sweep of Richmond. We'll get into that. A little bit of Ty Gibbs on Saturday and a whole lot of Denny Hamlin on Sunday. But right at the end, he snuck away with the dub. Also, a little bit of pit road choreography. We'll get into pit road boats and woes. And we will interview an 18-year-old kid who just won 100 grand. So I'm interested to see what Mr. Sam Mayer is going to spend his money on here shortly in the show. Stick with us. And we will also see how many hot dogs Chuck Bush can fit in his mouth at one sitting. We'll also get into some Hall of Fame picks, so stand by. You do not want to miss the show. I'm pumped up today, and this is Stack and Penny. Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. All right, guys. I'm Corey Joy here. This is Stag and Penny. Joining with some good friends, Pit Road Boats and Woes analyst, front tire changer for Austin Sendrick, Mr. Ron Flores. What's up? Mr. Chuck Bush. What's crack-a-lacking? And holding strong to his ice-cold Blue Mountain takes from last week. What was your Blue Mountain ice-cold take? I think I said Gibbs had no shot at, Mar- at uh, Richmond or something like that. They well, they got the broom out and did the complete opposite of what you just said, Merriman. So congratulations again. Thank you for holding up. You were into the bargain. Consistency is my game. That's why first he wears off, blue shirt today. It was because it's icy. Icy cold. Uh, first off, shout out to Richmond for allowing me to spend the last two days finishing up from our race. Um, we could not get it all done on Sunday, so we had to go back on Monday and still weren't good enough. Had to go back on Tuesday and really finish her off strong because we were a bag of shit, if you will. <laughs> well, you spent, hey, you spent on pit road, so you're fast somewhere. No, we uh, <laughs> we had uncontrolled tire, so it was a oh. combo. Oh. Um, we just missed it, man. That's the problem now because whatever the little squiggly lines and simulations shoot back out at you, like you, it's a judgment call to what you think is good. So when you, when it spits it out back, you like, okay, we are going to go with this setup. Once you get to the racetrack and realize you're four tenths of a second off, you're kind of married to it. You're stuck. Uh, and that was our case. Um, it's kind of like when Waze doesn't update and it takes you a bad way home and you sit in traffic. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. We yeah, were stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic going nowhere this weekend. Uh, it was not fun. We spoke about this the other week on, uh, what was it, Twitter Spaces with Blaney, and I think it's something that can be brought up real quick and explained, but simulation it doesn't just end with the computers or the glorified iRacing rig, which it's not, right? They don't just get in there and run laps. They run their setups through this, um, through this simulator. To validate it. To validate it, and it's team-specific with your arrow numbers from the wind tunnel, with your grip numbers from the seven post. They have all that stuff calculated, which helps you when you unload, know where you want to be, and make your changes throughout the race, which I don't think people... Like, you have a sim that you have runs your car on the computer that tells you, you build where it wants to setup. be. In, in sim, we call that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a simulator. Right. It's two different things. Yes. That is... You, you guys have sim... Correct. But you don't have a simulator, which is a big tool. I have a question about the sim data. When that runs, do you get that feedback instantly or does it have to? No, I mean, it's really driver feedback and input. So when they build a setup on the simulation, they will say, okay, we plug, let's plug this into the simulator. And I can drive the simulator and give you instant feedback like I'm driving it, right? The car moves, it reacts, it locks tires up. It's got lateral grip and feel just like driving a real car that's just stationary. So with that being said, we can build a setup and hone in on the direction it needs to be 
if we had the opportunity to validate it. But now we are at the bottom of the Chevy totem pole. So Chase gets a block. Larson gets a block. Alex Fulman gets a block. William Byron gets a block. RCR. Like there's no slots available for us to go validate our stuff. So we are guessing from point A, trying to figure out what makes these next-gen cars make some mechanical grip to actual real life. And the setup that we put into the simulation, we could have probably worked for 10 minutes on the simulator and made it three-tenths of a second better. But we don't, we don't have the middle step. And that is just really and truly from the disparity of information flow and really availability of the simulator. So it sucks, but that's also the way it's always been. And it's the way it's always going to be. The big teams have the, the tap to the information. The small teams do not. Now it's um, trickling down, right? And we're still, even though it feels like it's a long season, right? And we're not even to kind of the first break, which is Easter in the dirt race, we would call it. Um, but like the gap is we knew was going to be big to start. And will it close up over time, you think? I think the gains are so microscopic now. The box of setup is bigger than it was because now you have independent rear suspension. You have rear sway bars. You have um, five clicks of variability with the sway bar arms, different size rear sway bars. The front stuff's relative to the way it was. Double adjustable shocks. Double There are triple adjustable Tri shocks. We have bleed, rebound, and compression. So now, since everybody's working with the same stuff, it's who can fine-tune their car the closest to get grip. Now, when you go to a place like Richmond, like I said last week on the show, I think this is Denny's week because he has such a good feel for the racetrack. Um, the race played right into his hands. Denny's really good at Richmond, keeping his right front alive and keeping long-run speed. He doesn't burn his tires off. He can keep those three or four hundredths of a second sustained over the course of the run where guys give that up. Now, you saw the, the trisecting strategy, saw the bisecting strategy from Will Byron and Rudy Frugal, Fugel, rather, and it was, in the end, I think from inning two to the bottom of the eighth inning of the baseball game that we watched on Sunday afternoon at Richmond was not very fun to watch. Um, and when I went back and watched the race, I'm like, eh, you know, kind of boring, but we had four or five cars on varying strategies racing in the last five laps with a pass to lead, pass for lead three to go. So I thought that particular part was interesting. And if you were, we've talked about this on, I don't know what week this was, Chuck, but NASCAR has two dials. There are a comp, there's a competition dial and an entertainment dial. A lot of the times they aren't the same one. This week, the competition dial at Richmond was cranked up. Teams were finding mechanical grip. Drivers were sliding around tire management, pit strategy, pit road times, new choreography. Like that was as heavily skewed to the competition side as we'll see all year. Where you rewind to Atlanta, tall spoilers, low horsepower. You look at the screen, there's 25 cars. That's when the entertainment knob is cranked up. So I do think the balance, you have to have both. And I thought that this was a good competitive race on Sunday. Well, and – you got the entertainment to me at the end, which is when you want a NASCAR race to be entertaining, right? For sure. Like you want a good finish. And I mean, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick are both in the mix for a win there. If it wasn't for some lap traffic, maybe Harvick catches Denny. Maybe there's a last lap pass. But, you know, I mean, 
to me, it I was tuning in because it was a fun race to watch because you had guys that hadn't been there all season. I mean, Denny, where's he been all season outside of the top 10? Well, his first top 10 is a win. Well, he, he even said himself, I think it was before the race, he said, you can't make a three-legged horse or he might have said a three-legged donkey win the Kentucky Derby. So if he thinks his cars have been a three-legged donkey, mine has been a single-leg camel. Like, I can assure you that his cars, I mean, he, he's, you know, it, that's how close everything is. When he thinks his stuff's not driving good, it's like 12th, right? Yeah. But now, Gibbs is starting to figure it out. And they all, they all obviously have a really good feel for Richmond, no matter what car it is. They've won six out of the last eight at Richmond. So those guys just know what it takes to get around their good, as well as the drivers are good. Martin Trix is hauls ass at Richmond. Kyle Bush hauls ass at Richmond. We'll get into that later about the whole statute of limitations. I think after one pit stop, I don't think that you can backdate a penalty. Is that fair to say? Uh, no, I think you can. Yeah, and I think we can cover that in boats and woes, but like it was the first time it was ever called. So the rule is you cannot – so NASCAR is deterring teams from putting grill tape on to regulate engine temperature. You're not allowed to put grill tape on. Can't put grill tape on. Now, the way the aero numbers and stuff are, you actually don't want grill tape. You want that thing as open as you can get. I don't know. They didn't pull – they weren't in a real rush to pull it back off. Did they Did they realize it? Uh, Yeah, you do. You know. Yeah, you're looking at pictures. Like the whole time. you're looking at pictures of your car the whole time in real time. Like when, when like if we hit the fence, right, and we're gonna pit, they'll call me up on top of the box to look at the car before it comes in. Like you're getting that shit quick. Yeah. Um. So they knew. Yeah. But it's one of those things. Like oh, well, I haven't said anything, so I just leave it there. Well, but they didn't do it on purpose. So, um, Brad Moran called into XM. I just listened post the soundbite not too long ago, and so what they did was. It was reported to them, and so then they needed to go watch the Hawkeye cameras to go back and make sure that it wasn't something that did happen to fly off a tear-off yeah. and just so happened to get perfectly stuck to the front of the car or racetrack debris. They wanted to go back and wait and take time to make sure someone's hand actually smacked the front of that car and put tape on it. That's why it took them so long to make the call because they – you know. And he even said it on on XM. It was unfortunate the timing because when they finally made that judgment call, that there was so much more of the you know the race that was just happening under green flag. But they wanted to make sure that they didn't call them down pit road and penalize them for something that just happened to stick on it that fell off somebody else's car. All right, that's fair. It wasn't a judgment call though. It's black and white. Yeah, for sure. So it's not a yeah. judgment call, right? They, it, it was just something that's new and it got missed. But that forced, and it was a, and it's green flag runs. Well, You're and not, they you know, people on pit road after that anyway. So I mean, right? Like right when he came to get that. I think it hurt his strategy because I think he was on the same strategy as us. Cause we pit at the same time, which was a one-stop strategy. And then he came like 10 laps later. But, um, but yeah, it was a mistake. They, they meant to put it on the brake duck and the guy put it on the grill. Because, right. because, you know, you, a lot of brake shake there, a lot of left front brake lockup, um, especially over the course of a run. What you'll do is you'll put tape on the, on the brake duck. So you keep the heat in the pad. So with the bigger brakes, They'll get hot when you stop, and then as you're going down the straighter, they'll cool off. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, as it gets too cool, it'll shake, and you'll yeah. get brake shake and knock the pucks back. And Richmond's the worst place too for brake shake, just because the front straightaway is so long, and you're not really using maximum amount of brake potential. You're only using, you know, 600 pounds or so, so you're only getting the rotors only hot enough, right? So with the first time there, not really knowing brake temperature peaks because the practice isn't that long. You don't really have a good gauge. Really, it was just a mistake, probably of the 
front carrier. Yeah, front carrier. Yep. Slapped it on the wrong spot. Put it in the wrong spot. Hey, my bad. I mean, but, he they, fin- but he finished ninth. Yeah. So all four Gibbs cars finished in the top 10. Um, certainly strong day for those guys. The cream is rising to the top a little bit. We saw Team Penske, Hendrick Motorsports, as well as Joe Gibbs lead all the laps on Sunday afternoon. Do you think from the outside looking in, the bigger teams are stretching it out a bit from the teams that are expected to not be able to be competitive? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, we talked track house to a blue in the face last week. Like, I didn't expect them to be at the level that they are at, and I think they're going toe-to-toe with the big teams. But, you know, like Rick Ware Racing getting up there contended for top tens. I mean, you know, Spire's not up there, and they're, they're teams that, that need – Need some work for sure. Yeah, people and data. People, more people, more data. Right? It's it's going to win every time in racing, um, especially when you have uh, in the short term. Right? When it's something that hey, you don't have much practice, you got to get it right right away. You you know, and then especially if you have a team where you're not getting all the data, or you think you have some data. You know, there's nothing worse than bad data. Right? So if you or get down partial data or partial data, right? Yeah, that's. That is, uh, that's worse than having no data at all at yeah, times. I mean, we saw that with Roush. I mean, the, their whole decline was based off of bad, bad data. Bad data, yeah, and it's a huge deal. Took them from a five-car super team winning championships to, you know. Well, also, I worked, so good. There. I worked there then, and then I left. And oh, is that what it was? So that's one of those. I think the guy that was building you. crush panels um, really It was definitely crush panel technologies come a long way, I think, yeah. at Penske since you left Roush. Yeah. CPD crush panel development. <laughs> it's a really important job. <laughs> yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about the cup race. Let's talk about a little bit of the Xfinity race because we get our, we're going to talk to our guest here in a little bit, Sam Mayer, winner of that $100,000 dash for cash prize. But a little bit of controversy at the end between two teammates. Chuck, you give me a little, 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 what do you think, Charles? What do you think, Charles? It's racing deal. It's a racing deal. It's one of them racing deals. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I love it. I'm here for it. I'm here to watch it. I'm here to see it. It's fun stuff. And I mean, John Hunter Nemechek has been involved in some of that stuff in the past. Where, where, what was the truck race? Um, uh, Chicago land? The Canadian Motorsports Park. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like, he's, he's used, not, I mean, we're digging, digging. I was like four years ago. But look, this, I think it's amplified too because Ty Gibbs is who Ty Gibbs is. Joe Gibbs' grandson moves a Joe Gibbs racing car out of the way to win the race at Richmond. It's going to be amplified. It's going to be played up just because of that fact. But Earnhardt did it. Nobody had a problem with it, right? Well, like, Pete, there's going to be a percentage of people who already have a bad taste in their mouth towards Ty because he's the his granddad is is Joe. So why not just go out there and win all the time? Whoever doesn't like Ty Gibbs isn't going to like him. Whether they're definitely not going to like him if he runs 12. Hey, right? Kyle Busch has made a hell of a career out of you know encouraging people to boo him in the stands. So for who cares? sure. And it's his third win of the year. His win percentage is like almost 30%. What like was, what Kyle was Busch-esque numbers. What was worse when Carl Edwards and, and Gibbs cars moved Kyle Busch out of the way for a win? Like punted at, him? At Richmond? At Richmond. Or, or Ty had the lane and just... Drove in the three too deep and moved them up, right? You didn't wreck them. I think Dorn was worse? probably worse than a bump and run. Both the cars finished. Dornum's worse than running. Them. I think Dornum's worse, but I mean, I don't know. You tell me, you're the race car driver. What's the difference? The, you, like, it's you're racing for the win. You know, like. Either way, you're moving them out of the way. I, either way. 
They, but anyways, and wins are more valuable than they've ever been. And he didn't put him in a sand trap like we saw last week with Chastain. The guy finished second. Right. Yeah. He's also not running for points. I just saw him on my way here. I was filling up my my tank at uh, in Huntersville there, and here comes Ty Gibbs. And he's like, yo, Skip. And we talked. And it was hard to tell from TV because they were in the in-car of John Hunter looking out the right side window for most of it. So you couldn't tell where John Hunter was if he was moving up. Uh, there was one time where they doored each other. You couldn't tell if Ty drove into him. So it was really hard for me to understand what was going on. Yeah. But when they came down the backstretch and John Hunter was on the outside. You know you're unless, getting Unless he lifts and punts Ty, he's not going to win that race. Right. And if Ty lets him win that race, then he's not a killer. Right. Right. You got In that situation, if you're on the inside going in the three, you got to win the race. Yes. And you do whatever, uh, whatever it takes. Because if you let somebody roll you on the outside. Then you didn't want to bad enough. You didn't want to bad enough. So- to that point, those guys were banging doors 15 laps prior, right? Whether it was John Hunter rolling off the bottom, rolling into the doors. So the precedent was already set like, okay, like this is how we're going to, this is how it's going to be. And then it's a game of who can cool their tires down at the right time and make the right push, right? John Hunter passes them fairly clean, kind of doors them in the middle of one and two and kind of squirts out. And Ty had just enough left. And John Hunter missed the bottom in one and two, one lap, maybe coming to the white and allowed Ty to kind of maintain. There was some there was some lap traffic in there as well that kind of jumbled it up. But yeah, to that point, you gotta you gotta get the wins when you can. And sorry about your bad luck. You were on the outside. That just it you had to see it coming from a mile away. My question to you guys are is I'm interested to hear your opinion. Or I'll just go ahead and lay out my hot take. Ty Gibbs is driving the 19 car, cup car next year. Ooh. Next year? Yeah. Is Truex in a contract year? Yes. Mm, I don't think it's – that's not that hot of a take. I could see it happening. It's it's hotter than an ice-cold take. Uh, I don't know about numbers, but I would I would put Ty Gibbs in a third uh, 23-11 car over a Gibbs car right away. I think that they – make that move almost like they were going to make the same move with Cindric going to the 21, but then Brad left. Mm. Um, I think that that, but, but at, or they transition one of those guys over to a 23 level car. I think there's a third car next year for them. I don't know. Chargers just, are pretty pricey right about now. How old is Ty Gibbs now? I think he's like 18 or 19. I, I know he's good in the Xfinity series. I know he's doing really well and he, he knows what it takes to win. But I, I, I still go back to that, like, is he too young to make that jump to cup? Does I mean, he have enough experience to – or do you do a couple more years in Xfinity? But, like, at, at what point do you make the jump if you're winning everything? Like, when do you make that jump? The transition, I think, and what's not talked about as, as often as it should be, the success of a transition from Saturday to Sunday is more about who you're surrounded by than the actual person yourself. Look at Joey Logano, cup champion. Jumps in Tony Stewart's car, working with Zippy. It's told, hey, this is how Tony Tony Stewart did it. Just drive it. Dude, he was going to be fired, going to drive a Bush car, and that would have been the end of Joey Logano, right? Yeah. Now, next thing you know, look at him. He, you know, he's in the dri- driving the 22. He's going to make, he's going to be one of the top, arguably top uh, 12 drivers of all time, in my opinion. So, how many guys have, had the capabilities, but not the resources around them, right? So, or the people around them. 
it's a and it's a great point is one I was going to make. You know, Gibbs has been down this road before with Joey, right? Youngest youngest driver to ever win a cup race. With Eric Jones, uh, yeah, yes. And now you know Chris Chris Bell. There, Eric Jones was he as young as Joey? Whatever. But it's about getting him with the right people, exactly like you said. Like Joey says time and time again, look, I was 18 years old living with my parents. Zippy and all my guys were, you know, mortgages, wives, kids. kids, You know, he's like, I didn't even fit in. Here's the big key difference between Joey Logano and Ty Gibbs, right? If Ty Gibbs is driving the 19 car, whoever's crew chief in it is not going into Joe Gibbs' office and saying, this kid ain't got it. This kid ain't got it. It's you figure it the hell out for my grandkid. Not saying that's right, wrong, or indifferent. And I and I'm it it might not be like that. Like Joe Gibbs is is a competitor, right? He knows what's going on. But people are gonna check up way harder to go in and tell somebody about their grandkid than they are about the, <laughs> the kid, that, kid the that just got signed. And I don't mean that from a mean place, no. but that is real that's like what humans are gonna do. They're gonna check up a little bit. But Ty, man, he's these cars drive more like Xfinity cars than they ever have. We Down, see the downforce level for sure. Now there's a tr- there's definitely gonna be a transition in terms of just the little things of, of now that everybody is sub- substantially closer in terms of speed and he's not driving an Xfinity car, you know, he's not taking a AR-15 to a knife fight on a Saturday afternoon. Like you're going to have to work to figure out the little areas of speed that the other three guys that are over already Gibbs winning races, he can learn from, whether it's Denny, Kyle, or Chris Bell. So – when he surrounds himself with that caliber of people, he already is surrounded by that caliber of people. Like he will eventually figure it out because he's fast enough. So if you have the speed, you can polish the edges. You can file the corners down a bit to get him in a position to where he can thrive. And it seems like, and it's also situational because we're subjective rather because Ty Gibbs seems to be has has pretty humble guy. Seems to admit when he makes mistakes, like he's got his head screwed on the right way. So there's an element of that too that is factored in. Well, so, back to Chuck's question: How soon's too soon? Like I, I think Briscoe and Cindric stayed a little too long in Xfinity, in my opinion. Like there's some guys that that got plucked a little too soon. Which one's better? My opinion is this: If you have an opportunity to go to the show and you wait, it's one less opportunity you have to learn because learning against. Eight guys that know what they're doing on Saturday is way different than learning from 35 guys that know what they're doing on Sunday. And you and it's either you can swim or you cannot swim. There's no like, eh, you know, no, like if he can do it, he will figure it out. And he's already proved he can do it. So move him to the show. Well, I got a question about somebody figuring it out. When is Blaney going to figure out this season how to get into victory lane? Not even this season. It's 12 races he's led 100 laps or more. And can't close. Why? Like, why is that, Chuck? That's your boy. I mean, that's what, three poles this year? Yeah. Been on the front row the past four races. Hauling ass. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, let's not, uh, that's that's nothing to shake a stick at. That's the savior relationship. <laughs> well, he's, 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 him and Chase are what, tied in the points right now? Like, mm-hmm. they're leading the points. So, like, he's doing what he needs to do. Yeah. He ain't winning. But that's, that's, to me, that's coming. It's just, when does that happen? Does it happen at Martinsville? Is that, like, He's my pick for Martinsville, by the way. We'll get into that yeah. after boat, Boats and Woes. He really get, he gets it done there. I, I, that is sort of my uh, – Yeah. A little my, too my nice. A little too nice, I think. He's too nice? Yes. He's not nice. Blaney? He's a prick in what? a good way. <laughs> Blaney – He's got himself a black buffalo chaw in, nic- nicotine-free shoe. <laughs> spitting it spitting out. Spitting it on the right side of the floorboard. 
That's just getting dribbling. it done. It's just dribbling out. He ain't spitting. He's just letting that just kind of. Or he swallows like a real hey, man. Speaking of him being nice or not, him and Ross Chastain are about to scrap it this week. Yeah, oh, see that? Love he that. He didn't ship him. Yeah. I, I mean, I've said it to him blue in the face. And Skip, me and you've talked about this off camera. I think his. Hey, don't Achilles, bring me into this. His Achilles heel. Well, you've listened to me. His Achilles heel is like, I just go back to it's almost like every race at Martinsville. He let Joey or he let Brad in line, and when he would need a break, when the race was on the line, they wouldn't give it to him. Everybody remembers him. I mean, he's wearing those bright yellow gloves, flipping off Joey or Brad, like at Martinsville. He would he would play the team role. He would let him in line, and he would be the one that would be on the outside looking in when those guys were in victory lane at the end of the races. It's just how it's been. All right, Colt takes those dudes are paid. Ryan has not taken no shit off of nobody. Well, my like question it, is this. Does he do what Ty Gibbs does this weekend if he's alongside of a teammate? He didn't right? do it at Daytona. Right? That's I mean yeah. that's the that's the question, right? That and that's where you look at Ty Gibbs and you want him you want that guy behind the wheel, right? Yeah. Now there there's something to be said about being a gentleman and racing and and you know, racing back to the line. There's also something to be said about cashing the check. So can Give you close? Can check. you not? And, and, you know, you're not going to dance around it. They're all my boys, and I, I've pitted for Blaney too. But, you know, his pit crew has taken him out of contention for a couple of races this year, but they they have righted the ship, and, and they're right there now ready to compete. This this weekend he hauled ass until he lost the lead, and their car wasn't as good once they lost the lead. So him and Jonathan, he's got a new crew chief, Jonathan, Hath, Jonathan Hassler, is pretty much a first-year guy. He did some stuff with 21 last year. Um and they have a lot of speed, and and the only way that you win races is to continually have speed and put yourself in position. Now, there has been issues with closing the race out, but once they get one, they'll get a couple. You got to remember, he won three. What was it? Three races last year? Yeah, no slouch. I didn't say it was a I slouch. Mean, he just knows his, a he nice. knows his way to victory lane. It almost seems like when he has control, of the race is when he can't quite punch a ticket in the places where you know he kind of finds himself towards the front. Late race restart, he'll. You know, pull gloves down and get after it. Now, that's a bit situational. And also another hot situation this weekend is the pit road choreography. Let's break down that. I'll be honest. It was sexy. I saw the video on NASCAR's feed on the plane. I'm like, ooh, the way those guys came around the left side on the 11, it was chef's kiss. We'll break that down here in Pit Road Boats and Woes right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, guys, a lot to get into today here on Pit Road, Boats and Woes. My good friend Ryan Flores, front changer for Austin Cindric's number two Ford Mustang. Big news this week in Gibbs unveiling the new choreography. Do we have like a word we're calling it? I don't know. Gibbs stop. It's a Gibbs stop. 
it's going to be the, the normal style if they keep doing what they're doing. Is it able to be applied at any pit road? I don't think so. No, I, I think that, you know, like Talladega's and stuff, you'll do something different because you can't really call off um, – you can't really call off the two tires. It really slowed down if both guys had to run around the front. And, you know, he's, they've been able they've been able to do it for two or three weeks now, and they haven't done it yet for a reason. Right. Um, but you're going to have to have it in your playbook for when this, – this race, this weekend, for all intents and purposes, was a pit competition. And um, we'll get into that at the end. But the 11 car, you know, won the day on pit road. Yes, the 18 car had the fastest stop and the new fastest stop in NASCAR history and um, – you know, there's a lot of talk about that, but the 11 was right there with them. They actually won the day just off consistency. And there was a point in time during the race where they switched back to the old choreography when they had to do an adjustment. Now, from my understanding, it was a miscommunication why they did it, but they still, you know, go back and forth. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about the choreography, right? And I, I sit there and watch and I watch like a guy. It's something I study really closely, especially being a competitor. But I watch like a guy like Michael Hicks, who's the rear tire changer on the 11. And the stuff he's doing in front of the wheel with his gun work. The way he's pulling the tire, he's he's uh, he's using the gun in his right hand with the trigger, but he's pulling the tire with his left hand. So he's getting the gun on there, pulling the trigger, and pulling it with his left hand as he's going. You can't do that on the front, on the right front, because you have to roll the tire back to the wall. But his gun work, his exchange times with his carrier, so that's the, that's the amount of time from the, when the wheel comes off to when it goes on. Uh, we call that an exchange. That stuff and his time on lug nut is, is substantially better than most. So, yes, the choreography is good. Um, but if you look at what the 18 has done in the past, the 18 has been the fastest team and they've done, um, there there's, it's a little bit wonky and we'll get into this next about what pit time we're actually going by, because there's a lot of different uh, places that time times, and it's not really right for Gibbs to use their metric. They just came out and said, Hey, a nine, one, nine, uh, new fastest stop in NASCAR history. Well, wait a minute. Are you using Gibbs times? Are you using Ford times? Are you using NASCAR times? Are you using mechanics where times we have to pick one. Like if we're going to do that and start tracking like a NASCAR record, right? It needs to be from a source like NASCAR that, it, you know, it's either done with the data like in the car. Time. Yeah. You're not just going to have it like Gibbs time, right? Because right? that's just biased. The, even though they're right and they might be right for the way they time it, they can't just go on there and say a 919. Like, hey, right. hey, wait a minute. I now, can't. That'd be like me timing you with a stopwatch. Like, hey, new track record. Right. <laughs> so should this, should a pit stop by... When should it start and when should it end? So there's so that's a big that's a big talk, right? Uh, the point I was making on that last one, they've done a nine four before on their stop. So and they did a nine one a nine four nine was their previous fast stop a nine one nine. So three tenths, like we had talked about, was what was better here. Yeah. And it, and neither of them have been perfect stops yet, right? When you hit a perfect stop, you're going to be in the eights. But you would imagine they will be in the eights, high eight. Um, I know that some corners of the car, they had eights this weekend and looking at our breakdowns, you know, we had some corners, some corners of the car that were nine flats. So you have to put that all together eventually. But, um, but yeah, th the way that we've always time pit stops for infinity is you look at the, the best way to do it is to look at the number on the roof. And as the car stops, when it stops at rocks back, so you start it when the car rocks back. And then you stop it when the jackman's wrist break on the on the jack handle on the left side. That's that's usually the most common way to do it. When I timed the Gibbs stop overhead, I timed it four separate times, and I got anywhere from a nine three three to a nine three nine. On our on so there's you know Toyota has their data, we get the Ford data on ours. Like we were the fastest of that 
um, you know, that segment of the of pit road, that block when everybody pitted, we were the fastest with a ten three nine, and then I looked up and they were a nine four nine, so they were a second faster than us, and I was like, oh shit, like yeah, <laughs> they're hauling ass, but they also hit it. They also hit a good stop. Um, I think nailing down how we how we time that for a record moving forward is going to be important for us as a sport. So now we saw, so we saw four Gibbs pit crews in the top seven for overall pit road speed at Richmond. Not Gibbs. So just on the mechanics for breakdown, not Gibbs proper cars, right? Right, right. Kurt Busch car. Kurt, yep. Kurt Busch was one of them because well, the 20 car came in uh, in 16. Right. But yes, the 11, it broke down. The 11 was first, the 18 was second. The 45 was sixth, and the 19 was seventh. The 23 right. did not do this choreography, which is interesting. And when asked why, um, obviously they have people out because of uh, wheels because falling of, off. A wheel falling off, but also their their uh, car chief got ejected. And not only does this put more load on the guys over the wall, but it also puts more on the guys behind the wall. So, so with their car chief, yes, catch tires. With their car chief getting ejected, which is interesting. They didn't have a, a an integral guy in the back that could pull the hose, so they didn't want to do it and hurt somebody or take a risk. So they just did it the the conventional way. So after seeing that performance, if you will, right? Some, I mean, you could argue the race was won on pit road because their stops during that green flag sequence were smoking fast. Does a Penske? Does a Hendrick? Does a Roush? Start working on that choreography to have in the toolbox. I think absolutely right, and and that's where that's where my fear comes from. Even talking to, to some of those guys over there, the trap is, hey, it's faster. We got to do it right. But there's a lot of moving parts to that, and they have been working on that for a year, right? The they they even changed it after Atlanta when the Jackman and the twenty car got hit. The 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 rear changer was going um, on the on the side closest to like to closest to the gas man. And now he goes on the other side of the Jackman and runs around him. So that so it's still something that they're improving and fine-tuning. Now, they've done the work. So you can sit there and it's on TV. You can dissect it and you can say, okay, this is what we need to do. So the work is done. You just have to figure out how to do it with your people. But, yeah, you have to keep, you have to start doing it. The scary part is like, okay, if a team, say say a team that doesn't have as much talent or as much time as Gibbs has, and they're like, hey, it's faster. We're going to do it. And they run out in front of the car and they all get mowed over <laughs> or they get or they get hoses, you know, not on the, yeah. they, or they get hoses drugged down pit road. Like, does NASCAR go, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, that's where this gets messy, because if we start hurting people on pit road or, or we have teams that haven't put the work in trying to do this at the track. It could get messy. It could get messy. I, I have a question for you, Skip. Is there because everyone's running around the front of the car? Does that open them up for over the wall too soon penalties? I mean, how does how does that choreography correlate with you know when you can go over the wall based on a traditional four tire stop? Yeah, so it's a the jump line is is more important now than it's ever been. Uh, you you can jump um, say so we were in pit stall sixteen, so I can jump at the back line of pit stall fifteen, and uh, if you look at pit road. There's, as you look down, there's a yellow line and a white line, a yellow line and a white line. And that's each person's jump line. They, they have different colors. So you can tell which one's yours, each different one. And like, I've talked to my carrier this year cause he's been late jumping and it hurts me because then I can't, I, he, as he runs out, I have to slide behind him. And yes, it opens up 
for sure, especially weekends like this where the uh, where you can pit on a curve and you're kind of counting on the guy counting the car in to jump early. Uh, like when the spotter counts it in five, four, three, two, you'll jump on the two. Uh, we've seen that bite people before. But yes, it definitely opens up a for one more guy to jump early and get a penalty. And that's also another thing, too, that a big factor of Martinsville with the curb pit roads in three and four and one and two, a lot of jumping early uh, tendencies there. Do you think that we'll see? I mean, Martinsville is one of the tightest pit roads. Yeah. Uh, there is because the pit boxes are dead flat and pit road itself is banked. Um, so it's kind of a funky pit road. I wonder if they'll go back to the traditional way of running stops. I don't, you know, you want to. At the end of these Martinsville races, there's usually 14 to 16 cars on the lead lap, right? So you want to, it, it come, it turns into track position is more important at Martinsville than ever, especially with the choose rule. We see people check up at the end of the pit road to try to be on the inside or the outside. Well, now if you, you know, beat a, a car off pit road or two off pit road with the choose rule, you could be two lanes up from where you were, or it puts you on the front row. So it's more important as it's ever been. So you want to do it the fastest way possible. Yeah. Now at Martinsville in the corners, um, there is the pit box. And then right after the pit box, it, it starts being banked. So those guys will be running on a hill coming down, going up. And no matter where they, you know, depending on where they park, where you set the tire or the where the hoses are, the hoses can get really far out on pit road. That, that poses a whole new um, obstacle. But if you have a pit box that's conducive to doing it, when, it, when the money's on the line and you know it's faster, you're going to do this stop. So we were talking about it before. Back to Richmond for a second. The the buzzword, the drinking word, rather, from Chad Canales was Delta, Merriman. And you asked about it. What yeah. So, I mean, I have a basic understanding of what that is. But if, if, if a fan didn't have any context going in, right, like – other than an airline, like what is what is what does Delta mean? You know what I mean? Like we won't talk about the other other Delta in the room, right? Uh, but what does it what does it mean? How does it affect what you do on pit road skip? How how is that information important to you? But I guess first off, what is a Delta on the racetrack? Yeah, so Delta is the amount of change, uh, whether that be temperature change. We talked about brake temp, so Delta would be the how hot the brakes get to how. Uh, cold the brakes get any particular lap like the difference in that if it's 300 degrees that's the delta delta is right? the engineering term for difference delta is yes. engineer, engineering term for difference right so when chad canales is talking about the delta and strategies they have softwares that break down what the ideal strategy is based off of tendencies so like crew chiefs nowadays really are just looking at the computer and whatever it spits out of them is what the ideal time is to where Pit Row, it's a software that Hendrick uses to spit out what the ideal, what they think is the ideal delta, like a, a trisect segment versus a bisect segment. So it told them that bisecting the segment was faster. It doesn't take into account getting being defensive, getting passed by guys on fresher tires, not being able to pick the line you want to pick as often as you can. So the difference between William Byron getting passed by guys on a trisect strategy versus a bisect strategy. If everybody would have done that, he would have won. But the fact that he couldn't run the maximum speed that his car was capable of running is what got him difference in the end. So the so, delta is trisecting it versus bisecting it without the variable of 
lap traffic. So, so basically how fast you're going to catch a car in. So to put this in, in easier terms, right? If the last run is 100 laps, yep. right? They'll have software that tells you if it's faster to pit one time at lap 50 and split it into a 50 lap run and a 50 lap run or to pit twice at 33 and 34, yep. right? Like have a 34 lap run and a 34 lap run and then run it to the end. Like which one's faster? The tough thing, so, and it, and that accounts for tire fall off and, you know, that, that accounts Pace. for the driver hitting the lap, you know, being consistent all the time. There are also softwares that account for traffic and when you're going to hit traffic, but that's a hard thing. You know, that, that is just a, a guess by a computer. So if you hit traffic and you lose a second, that's a big deal. But you could argue like the, the four car came in and they did a, like a nine, nine on their last stop, a good stop. But the, the, um, 11, 11 came in and did like a nine, five. So they're almost a half second better and they win the race by a half second. So there now that doesn't, now you're just talking about what happened in the box. Now getting the pit road, you know, like that's all that stuff is super important over a long run. And it's just like, you know, almost if you watch F1, they take into account at that point, just how do they get from that point to the start finish line in the fastest way possible. Yep. And that's all you're trying to do. And that is Pit Road Boats and Woes this weekend. We are going to talk to somebody who can afford a brand new boat, and that is Sam Mayer. Let's see if we can't convince him to buy a boat here in a second. Stay tuned. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the show. A hundred grand richer this week, your Dash for Cash Richmond winner, Mr. Sam Mayer. Thank you for joining Stacking Pennies. How you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? I am doing fantastic. We're all here having a good time today. It is Tuesday. Has it sunk in yet? You haven't even hung the big check up in your room yet. There's literally nothing in the backdrop of your house. Could you at least duct tape that big? Yeah, styrofoam? I mean it's right there. I can duct tape it up. Here, I want to go grab it. I want to see it. Yeah, there it is. Love that hundred thousand. Got it from the shop the other day. Man, hundred thousand. Now, did you take it to the bank and try to cash it? I mean, I I I, I was gonna sign the back of it, see if I could just give it to him. Do <laughs> that. I'd, uh, that would make for. I know Junior loves some social media content. That would be some good content. Maybe you guys should look into that. But 
<laughs> I know you don't get to keep all of that $100,000, but you get to keep a good percentage of it. What are you going to spend your percentage of that hundred? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do like my percentage. I'm definitely going to give back to the team a little bit because they, they work their tails off to make the race cars go that fast. So uh, I'm going to give back to them a little bit, trade them to some nice stuff. Uh, but I'm going to keep that other other little percentage uh, on the side because I, I'm an irresponsible 18-year-old, so I got to take care of it. No doubt, bro. If I was 18 years old with that sort of money, I would do some really dumb stuff that I would not recommend you do. But besides the the money, it had to be a big confidence booster for that one team to leave Richmond the best of the Dash for Cash cars, but you guys have had speed, not necessarily the results to show for this point in the year, but you guys look pretty good there at Richmond. So how the, how's the year shaping up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's starting to come around for sure. Like these guys are clutching up at pretty much the exact right time that we need to to make this Dash for Cash stuff work. Obviously, uh, get my first top five of the year um, at Coda, and then that qualifies us in for the Dash for Cash at Richmond. And then getting a top three at Richmond qualifies us for the Dash for Cash at Martinsville. So we're, um, we're definitely hitting the nail on the head here with the uh, timing of finding our speed. Uh, but I mean, we've been fast every single week and uh, we've been up there leading laps a couple times, especially at those mile and a half, which are all new to me. Uh, so we've been pretty good there so far. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next couple weeks, uh, a couple months, um, just to see how far we can keep this rolling. Cause I feel like that wind's definitely coming around the corner pretty quick. Well, no, no question. If you keep knocking on the door, sure, surely it will be open eventually. But you split the season last year in that eight car with Josh Berry. And it's so hard that people don't really understand being part-time in and out of the car. Once you turned 18, you were in that thing full-time for the rest of the year. How much of that consistency this season, now that you're in the car every week, the same competition means with the same guys using the same, you know, verbiage, what does that do for just, I don't know, like maybe finding the little gains in yourself in addition to the team weekly. Yeah. I mean, like I'm at the point in my career and like my age, obviously I'm, so I'm really enthusiastic about everything. So once I get out of the car at Richmond, I'm like, can we go to Martinsville right away? Cause like, I just want to go out there and race. Like I, I have a lot of drive to go do that. Um, and I'm feeling really good about everything right now. So I'm itching to get to the racetrack each and every week. And um, that is kind of a product of being in the, being in the car every week and having that consistency and having all the same guys around me. Like I've had, I've had the same team for like eight, nine months now already. And I'm only 25 races in my career. So having the same guys as last year and uh, keeping that consistency is definitely really beneficial to me. And it also benefits the team because then we get used to each other really quickly. Once we get used to each other fully, then we know what we have to do for each other. uh, And then, uh, the product on the racetrack is even better. There's a guy behind the scenes at Chevy who's kind of the unsung hero, if you will. We've had a couple guys on the show so far this year being Alex Bowman and William Byron. They both mentioned Josh Wise. And you've been a uh, Chevy guy for the last couple of years when you were at GMS running the ARCA series. Now you're over, you did the truck stuff. Now you're on the Xfinity side. And I know you work with Josh as well. What is it about Josh Wise and his tactics or level of preparedness that he gets all of his guys to understand? Yeah, it's um, it's unbelievable how methodical he is with his research and his work and his uh, presentation of everything each and every week. Every Thursday, uh, we all sit down 
whether it be truck Xfinity or cup guys, like all of us in there together. And we're all bouncing ideas off each other about the racetrack and each week and what we can see and find and learn. And, uh, that's all thanks to Josh. Um, he does, he does a really, really good job just about everything he does. And obviously, um, his guys are really, really good on the racetrack, whether that be the truck guys, the Xfinity guys like myself and the cup guys too. So he, he does a really good job. And I mean, there's one, there's one variable about that. That's all the same. And that's Josh Wise. So you're 18 years old now, fast forward 10 years till you're 28. Where do you want to be here in 10 years? Yeah. I mean, even in the next five, I want to be in the cup series and hopefully winning races by then, but definitely 10 year, 10 year overview. I would think, I would think I'd be in the cup series and hopefully by then I have a championship. I mean, that's, that's definitely lofty goals, but like, might as well shoot far. And if you get halfway there, that's still pretty damn good. So, um, I'm going to shoot far, shoot as best as I can. Uh, and long as I can, I want to be here. I want to be here in this sport a very long time. And I want to be like you one day where I can have a podcast and everyone listens to it. So it's like, I want to be that guy that that's around here. And, uh, and uh, everyone talks about, I don't know if anybody listens to this podcast, maybe your mom, my mom, and you know, Chuck's grandmother might listen to this thing. Other than that, that's about all we have to listen to. But I appreciate you jumping on. Before I let you go, I've got two questions. You, this is the first time you've been on the show, so I'm going to ask you the question I've asked a lot of guys last year. One, if you had to pick one car and one track to race at the rest of your life, what are you picking? A lot of people are going to look down on me for this, but I'd say I'd say the Xfinity cars at uh, Daytona. Like, like a lot of people probably – are like, that's the worst. Oh my God. Why would you want to do that? But it's just, I'm still so young and so energetic about speedway racing that that's, that's what I would want to do. And I, I just like, there's something I learn and try every single week. And I mean, Taylor, my crew chief puts together probably some of the best speedway cars in the Xfinity series. So it's definitely really fun to drive those things when you can, when you can make so much uh, momentum and a lot of good moves at the, at that place, especially. So I'd say, I'd say Daytona and the Xfinity car. Knock on wood, I hope this doesn't happen to you, but it's inevitable that it will. That seems to me like you haven't crashed hard enough on a speedway, and that happens to me quite often. That's why Daytona would not be on my list. But you, sir, can have an Xfinity car Daytona all you want. Question two. I'm trying to word this question so it comes across. Like The question is, what is a racing-related dream? Not like a goal, right? Like A racing-related dream for me is when I dream like I can't get out of the lounge and I'm locked in the lounge as the cars are pulling off and I'm watching the race on the TV up in the lounge. Like, and I can't get out like, and I'm, I miss the race. So what is a racing related dream that Sam Mayer has? I don't know. I mean, I get flashbacks cause actually I did wreck at Talladega really bad last year. So that's why you chose I still want to race after that. So I, I'm going to answer that. Um, but like, I still get flashbacks from that. That's pretty, that was a pretty bad one. Like that, like that hurt for two weeks after that. Um, but I get flashbacks of that, but like, I'd say that's the only really racing related dream I have. Cause other than that, I, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Heard that. Well, my friend, you've got some money in the bank this week. Spend it wisely. Don't buy any crypto. It's a little bit volatile right now, but I don't know what these young kids are doing nowadays. Sam Mayer, good luck the rest of the year. Good luck this weekend in Martinsville. Try to go two for two this weekend in those Dash for Cash races. I appreciate you, Corey. Thank you very much. Have a good day.
Hey, Marin Mendenhurst, only 5% of voters chose Sam Mayer to win that Dash for Cash this weekend. So there was a small pool of people to win some signed merch. Where can they go to vote on the correct Dash for Cash winner this weekend in Martinsville? All right, martinsvillespeedway.com backslash Dash for Cash. Yeah, can win some signed merch from whoever wins the 100K. I mean, you've got a 25% chance of getting it right. But only 5% of people got it right at Richmond. I was not in that 5%. I, I applied my ice cold takes to my Dash for Cash fan vote. Who'd you have in your Dash for Cash fan vote? Uh, I was picking Noah Gregson. Uh, Who are the Dash for Cash guys this week? You have got Sam Mayer, AJ Allmendinger, Ty Gibbs, and Riley Herbst. Who are you picking? Uh, I mean, man, I I just love watching Tyrone, man. He's so much fun to watch. He's, uh, But Martinsville is a place where you got to have some discipline. You got to be calm, cool, and collected, so that'll be a test for young Ty. Uh, I don't know how he ran there last year. AJ's always been a good one at Martinsville. Can we just give a shout-out to Riley Herps for having a good run, qualifying for this Dash for Cash money? You act like he's in some like shitbox car, man. No, but he's had <laughs> – he Riley's good, man. He should be up front. Yeah, yeah, he's had rough luck the entire season, yes. though. I mean, I feel like that's along the lines of Denny Hamlin getting his first top ten as a win. Like, that dude qualifying for Dash for Cash is a big deal. I mean, I, I've got a whole list of stuff I can put on that, but I'm just going to transition to the next segment, Chuck. <laughs> I like it. Dale Jr., always – Junior Motorsports seems to just dominate the Dash for Cash races. I mean, so it's hard to bet against Sam Mary. He's got a little confidence right now. Who knows? He might go two for two, but it's hard to bet against that 54 of Ty Gibbs right now. Oh, old Dale Jr. is going to be in that Xfinity race, too. Mm-hmm. Now, I really want to dig into some debating with y'all over some Hall of Fame inductees. So y'all tune in after this break because stuff is about to get crazy. All right, guys, big news. The 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame nominees dropped yesterday, and that always sparks some fantastic debate because everybody's opinionative and everybody's childhood heroes are slightly different depending on what races you watched growing up, depending on what your values are, whether you lean it. Um, Chuck, I wanted to get your opinion on this. If you had three boxes you had to check, to make it into the Hall of Fame, like of values, popularity, abilities, impact on the sport. Like, what are your three boxes? Uh, I mean, I think you you nailed my three pretty much. Okay. Like, impact on the sport to me is one that you can't overlook, right? Like everybody says, oh, well, this guy had a championship, so he's a lock for this. And yes, if you win a championship in NASCAR, you are probably a lock for the Hall of Fame. But, like, number of wins, yes, that's a big thing. But to me, like, that impact on the sport, if you look at a Dale Earnhardt Jr., yes, he won championships in the Xfinity Series, but what he did to push the sport forward when he did and that just popularity of Dale Earnhardt Jr., like, he never got a Cup Series championship. And some might say, well, that's not that's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. What he did for the sport, first ballot Hall of Famer. So thousand percent. That's sort of where I, I I would go impact on the sport, wins championships, and then you know, like fan popularity. Yeah. Okay. That that's a fair point. So with that being said, is Matt Kenseth a first ballot Hall of Famer? I have been going back and over I've been going over this and I think 
I, I lean towards yes because of the championship thing. But see, like when I'm looking at those, like to me, a Neil Bonnet should be in there because of impact on the sport, right? Like he's yes. he's doing the Dale Earnhardt stuff before Dale Earnhardt was doing it with his winners TV show back in the early '90s. Neil Bonnet basically popularized the sport in a way that he could talk to the fans and break it down in a way that really hadn't been done to that point. He was the everyman. I I feel like. Why, why isn't like Neil Bonnet for me is in the pioneer category. Like there it's tough to put Neil Bonnet in a modern era because you have to almost look at it because they're at a disadvantage because social media wasn't a thing. Like they are so far removed from their impact on the sport in the era that they were, that they're at a disadvantage because now we're voting for them today, but we're not they, voting for them. Well, what they usually do, and this isn't this isn't a steadfast rule, right? But like, I feel like you see it split up. The, the philosophy is split up. Like that modern era ballot spreads a good amount of time, but I feel like the voting is usually balanced to where some someone that I can remember racing – as a 33-year-old in my childhood makes the ballot, a Carl Edwards, a Matt Kenseth, a Ricky Rudd, a Jeff Burton, and then someone like a Harry Hyde, a Shelmer Dean, a Neil Bonnet is also voted. And I think that is – I don't know if that's necessarily the philosophy, but that's why two people go in for modern and one goes in on pioneer. So, But, I mean, right. Neil Bonnet is modern. Like, Fair. In, in this, yeah. Like the mo- majority of his success – at the cup level, came in the 80s. Yeah. And then, you know, there's... Is he still had impact in the 90s until he passed away. Yeah, he was, what, 94, 93, 94? Yeah. Neil Bonnet left the sport better than where he found it, right? And we we don't know that because we didn't watch his show, but he, he, he made the sport better, shared his knowledge of what he knew, uh, was entertaining, and obviously he died before I, I knew, like, was, yeah, was able to watch him. But, like, Matt Kenseth... When he finished, he was done. He goes rides mountain bikes, and I think, like I was, I'll say it. I think a t- big tarnish on his career is what he did at Martinsville. Like, I, like when you look at when you look at a body of work that was, you know, like I granted I was on Penske's team, but if I try to look at it objectively, like I don't love that man. I I really don't. But I, I, that one doesn't stand out as like a, to me as a tarnish on his career. Well, it does to me. I know it does <laughs> to you. But I'm just like when I think of his whole career. That is, I guess, a drop in the bucket. That's a thing that happened on the track. Like his wins and his championship to me stands out a little bit more than that. Let me read something to you guys because you have skipped over somebody. Okay. You, do you want? I'm going to say something after you say your thing. Okay. I, I lean more towards car builders and, and the guys that work on it because you guys. From 1974 to 1985, 262 of 362 cup races were won by a car that Banjo Matthews built. In 1978, his cars that he built won all 30 races, right? You got to think he's the guy that there'd be no Harry Gantt on this ballot if it wasn't for Banjo Matthews, right? Banjo did so much more in the sport for building cars. Like, you wouldn't know. Look, what about Ralph Moody? Yeah, yeah, but but Ralph Moody did a lot for his team, right? Right. Banjo Matthews did a lot for the whole sport, right? And he revolutionized the whole sport when all there is nobody other than this year techniques yeah. whose car won every race in the season like it wasn't his personal car it's one that he built his chassis and he would supply them to the team but you gotta think 262 of 362 so out of 362 races he only lost 100 his cars that he built 
right? And he was supplying them to Earnhardt. He's supplying he's supplying them to to everybody that's won a cup race back then. He was supplying those cars. So how do we measure, right? So he's on the pioneer ballot up against, unfortunately, AJ Foyt, arguably the best driver of all time, and no matter what, top three for certain. Yeah, we're not in Indianapolis though. Yeah, I agree. Now, I put AJ. I, on, hang on, hang on. Let's before we start. He, he did real, we could argue about this. Well, hey, one day Tony five hundred, but so did Trevor Bain. Is oh, Trevor Bain going to Hall of Fame? I'll fight you, Skip. Let's fight. Let's yeah. fight. Trevor Bain didn't do it you six make, more times. You yeah. make a great point. Wait, did he win seven times? AJ Foyt has yeah. seven Cup wins. He but did he win seven day Tony five hundred? He's no. got one hundred and seventy career starts though. So, like, really and truly, it's not a super strong win percentage. Now, that's not to say AJ Foyt is not a Hall of Famer. Don't get me wrong. But, thousand percent. But. Banjo Matthews to your like, how can we measure up? Like, how do you compare Banjo Matthews' impact on the sport up against AJ Foyt? It's not the same thing, but they're in the same right. category, and only one guy gets in. So, how do you how you get how do you gauge that? I mean, AJ Foyt's a way sexier name, right? Like AJ yes. Foyt is the guy, um, but he's but he's not a first year NASCAR like Banjo. He's is not a, a first year. Bro. He's not a first year NASCAR Hall of Famer ballot winner. All right, he's AJ. Not, Chuck, who's your – so there's three. So it's two out of the modern era, one out of the pioneer ballot, and one landmark ballot. Shoot. Uh, I'm going to go off the top of my head. Neil Bonnet, Matt Kenseth, Sam Ard, and uh, see the, the landmark – Anybody that doesn't have Mike Hilton in that landmark ballot I know. That, well, that, that's like that's where I'm going to go. Right straight in the like, genitals. I can make an argument for Janet Guthrie to be the landmark award winner, uh, but Mike Hilton, the mustache – Mike Hilton's mustache needs Hang on a, a plaque for a national landmark. That's yes. A yes. It's the eighth one of the world. Yes. But the fact that, like, Mike Hilton to me is NASCAR. Yes. And that's why. That guy had taken the sport from a regional series to a national series, weathered the storm through all of it, and was the anchor. He's been with him here. He's been with him here. Like, and, if you think of Hilton, you think of, like. NASCAR. Daytona 01. The lowest of lows yeah. to the highest of highs has been right there glued to the Francis hip through yeah. thick and the, thin. That dude deserves to be. The there. most nervous I have ever been at a NASCAR race was at Iowa when I read the driver's meeting live, like the 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 video live in the tent with all the drivers. And, you know, all the drivers are staring at me. They didn't bother me. It was in the back. Mike Helton was standing in the back of the room, and all I could see was that mustache. And I was like, I, I don't want to make eye contact. Oh, my God. Like, that's a- like, I was nervous because, like, if I screw this up, like, Mike Helton is, is – Oh, I got, is- a great, I got a great story for that. I, you just reminded me of that. So, for some reason, NASCAR asked me to read the induction speech for Waddell Wilson yeah. a couple years ago. I was nervous, one, because I don't feel like I'm worthy to even read somebody's introduction, let alone, you know – be at the damn party because I just feel like not I don't deserve to be there. So I I read and I prepare all this stuff, right? I'm reading up on Wado Wilson and his introduction. Go up there and I got my paper and you read the teleprompter and I'm looking down and it's Richard Petty, Dale Inman, Rick Hendrick, Tony Stewart, like the guys, you know what I mean? And like it was all good. You try to like envision them in their underwear, maybe not Tony Stewart, but like I see Mike Helen and the mustache, and it made me start sweating. So I don't know if it's the mustache or just the swag that Mike Helen's got. So he is in no question. There should not there if there is a NASCAR Hall of Fame. Is there if there's a race car Hall of Fame 
Mike Helton should be in every single There are a few people that when they walk into a room, they have a presence that just almost commands the whole room. Yep. And he is a nice like he is a nice guy. When you interact with it, like yeah. it's not like he is intimidating. It's just he has that presence. He's the best. He's been the steady hand that has helped NASCAR through several different iterations of what it is. You ever been in his office? Have not. Who's your four? Uh Kenseth, Harry Hyde, AJ Foyt, Mike Helton. All right, I, I, for me, Matt Kenseth isn't a first ballot. He's like a third or fourth ballot. But who are you going to put in there over him? Is does does Carl Edwards deserve to be in there? No, you no, have you no, have no. to I have. Mean, I'll be honest. I might I might burn the Hall of Fame down if there's an arson and Carl Edwards gets in first ballot. I've got problems. But with that. A, he's not first simple, ballot. He's, just a simple no. He's Carl's been on the ballot <laughs> before. Carl wouldn't be first ballot. Carl's been on there before. But what I'm saying is like. I think you have to have someone on that list of modern people who can walk in on two feet and give a speech. Ricky Rudd. Wow, that's what you're worried it could about? Be, it Are could you be. worried about what they did to get in the Hall of Fame? It could be. Are you worried about them? But you have to have some speech? appeal to like – Wait, to, for to, Instagram to, likes? No, <laughs> but you have to have some appeal to have people engaged and want to come. Like, you know, you look at Ricky Rudd. I love Ricky Rudd. I think Ricky Rudd is a absolute badass. And if I ever went, you know, to get in a fight – I would I would tag Ricky Rudd in, no call the rooster. But if you look at the body of work from all those modern era drivers that I can remember, like Matt Kenseth is more qualified than anybody else on that list, in my opinion. He's got a did championship. He's got two Daytona five hundreds. He's got Coca Cola six hundred. Did you see what he did in Martinsville that time? <laughs> it's pretty shitty. Not something a first ballot Hall of Fame. Maybe a second or third. Hey, one thing I don't know, and I think we got to be talk about it because Clint Boyer tweeted about it, and I don't know him, but I'm a short track guy. You're a short track guy. Is Larry Phillips five national championships, seven regional championships, thirteen track championships, all under the NASCAR banner? Clint Boyer's fighting hard for him because he's from his area, but did he move the sport better? I don't know much about him. I don't know a lot about him, but I see Clint Boyer on Twitter fighting hard. For it's him. not. It's not the Hall of you know progressive. It is the people NAS- in the sport. But no, but it's NASCAR the NASCAR Hall of, Hall of Fame, Fame and what he did for. The sport as a whole, I mean, I, I, you can't overlook the local track and the short track guys. Larry Phillips more famous than Matt Kenseth. It's what not a. That? It's not a. I guess it is. It's not. It's not Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of. Oh shit! <laughs> it's not the Hall of popularity. I was gonna say yeah. Oh well, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. But I wish there was more value put in the sport of people who did this just because they loved it. Banjo Matthews did it because he loved it, right? Like. He wasn't making, he wasn't living in a house on Lake Norman, do, building chassis that won 260 out of 320. Like, whatever it was, like, those guys were doing it because they loved the sport, invested in the sport. They didn't have a jet, they didn't have a null motorhome. Like, Larry Phillips, why should we, why should we lower those guys, the guys that, didn't want to pursue a cup career necessarily, wanted to work a job, hang out with their kids, go race on the weekends with their friends under the NASCAR banner. Larry Phillips won thir- uh, five national titles, 13 track championships. Why can't we put some weight into his accomplishments just because necessarily they weren't on TV doesn't make them equally as important. I agree. So I here's, agree. My, here's my four. Neil Bonnet. This is going to be an unpopular take because it's not sexy and it doesn't get the Instagram likes and they're maybe not the most famous. Here's my four. Neil Bonnet. Because really and truly, he he 
invested his whole entire life and gave his life up for the sport, left in a better place than what he found. And he was senior's best friend. And he was senior's fishing buddy, so that's worth something. Neil Bonnet, numero uno. Number two, Larry Phillips. Y'all can raise hell about that all you want to. I can argue for Ricky Rudd, but I'm going to go leaning towards the regional guy just to give short track guy some love. I did have AJ, but you, sir, you swayed my opinion. You did. I'm going to put Banjo Matthews at number three. And then Mike Helton for me, there's really nobody else in that list. He's going in. Give him a blue jacket. Me yeah. and Skip have a, a, a lunch bet over Kenseth going in. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going. Uh, the only reason I'm going, I got the same four as you except for um, Larry Phillips. And the only reason I didn't go at Larry Phillips and I went with Harry Hyde is because he didn't give Cole Trickle a match set of tires. <laughs> That's Staggered true. special. So there's only one guy that's in Days of Thunder. Well, Harry we Hyde. could we could argue about this. We could have a whole show debating over Hall of Fame inductees because here's the thing, guys. They all are worthy, right? Sure. They all have put in their time, done like got the accolades. It, it stinks to have to compare incomparable careers because they all have had an impact on the sport. That's why they're on the list. So and all ev- these guys are Hall of Famers. They just might not be voted in this year. And everybody has their champion in that room when they go in to vote. Like, yes. They, like the debate that we had in here, magnify that by like 10, mm-hmm. 20, 100 on yeah. that that day when they're voting because they are going to argue probably more in depth than we have been. No question. No questions asked. Now, I might be a little harsh on Claude Edwards. I don't think he's the first bad Hall of Famer. But that guy, when you watch some old races – that guy was fun to watch drive, man. Okay, let me ask he you this: He was a freaking wheel, man. Harry Gant or Carl Edwards? Harry Gant. If you had to, if you had to choose between those two, Mister September. Mm-hmm. Ah, Carl didn't drive the Skull Bandit. He didn't. You know the Aflac Duck wasn't as cool as Skull Bandit. No, it no. wasn't. No. no, it wasn't. Now, but how do you compare? Because they're different eras, man. It's tough. You so. know, I'd put Harry Gannon over Matt Kenseth. Because you see that shit Matt Kenseth <laughs> pulled in Martinsville. <laughs> did you guys see that? Harry never did that. Anyway. If NASCAR don't call that lowdown <laughs> shit ass racing, then you better. Ryan Witter. And the uh, Hall of Fame better. And I guess really and truly, that's why we don't vote. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we have we are no clue what we're talking about, yeah. but I hope you guys enjoyed it uh, because that is the Hall of Fame debate section here on Stagging Pennies. We'll get in a penny for your thoughts here right after the break. Janie. Penny for your thoughts. What we got? Our first one comes from Abby on Instagram, and she says, when you compare SMT data, which other driver is your driving style most similar to? That's a great question. So SMT, uh, to explain that, is the software that you can almost overlay your car, and you can see braking, you can see throttle, you can see steering, mile per hour. It pretty much is a cheat sheet to anybody you want to see. I can open up um, my laptop and lay the seven car over the 11 car and see Denny Hamlin's driving style. There's a little bit of pushback from the drivers when it first came in because most drivers feel like that is a bit of intellectual property, right? And the fact that anybody else can see it, um, makes it a little bit muddy, but I think it really is track specific. You see some guys that are good at road courses have a little bit of different braking techniques. You see a guy like Denny, you try to emulate his braking technique and how much, mile per hour he carries in the middle of the corner um somebody that i compare myself with is probably martin truex him and i um you know have a similar way of steering input of throttle application because there's some guys that kind of do like a two-step like a 
initial 30% throttle just to check grip and then put it down. Uh, some guys are a smooth, gradual increase on throttle. Um, so it uh, seems like tendencies I lean towards Martin Truex's. Do you look at both people that you're similar to and then also like guys that you want to run like and what they're doing? So I'll certainly look at guys who are strong at particular tracks. Like I looked a lot, Denny, uh, how he went at Martin or Richmond rather. And I'll look at guys who run well at Martinsville this particular week of like last of previous races and kind of see if I see a trend of what I do and lay it over if it's slightly different than what like, uh, you know, Joey Logano does or somebody that has a couple Martinsville clocks on their shelf. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still a little bit, you have to get your car to do what you want it to do. It's certainly a, g- a good, helpful tool that everybody has. So everybody's always looking at somebody else to try to get a little better. Logan asks, why doesn't NASCAR retire numbers? I've always wondered that uh, because as much as we always hear NASCAR owns the numbers, they really are team numbers, whether that's the 43, whether that's the 3, the 21. You know, I think all the time it's like, man, do I do I wish the 3 was retired? Yeah, kind of. But, you know, it just – it really truly is just a number. I think the car itself, the black number 3, uh, has more of brand value than the actual just the number itself. But, you know, I think that that's just the way the sport's been and, you know, the sport moves on um, from, I don't know, legacies or whatever, but the the weight of a three, the weight of a 88 even or a 24 uh, still carries and rings true. But I don't know. Chuck's got a pretty good explanation of car branding. No? Well, I was just going to say that, like, seeing that three out there, yes, Dale Earnhardt did a lot in that three, but other folks did stuff in the three. Like the 11, Ned Jarrett, like, made that three the 11 what it is denny hamlin's also making it his own i like seeing it because it's a throwback to the older guys so i would not want to see numbers retired i like seeing the three out there now and i like seeing what austin Dillon is doing with that three i think there's certain numbers that that hold true right and like i think you look at like kurt bush driving the 45 right a lot of people might not remember adam petty but i do know that that he called the petties and said hey this is what we want to do you know, do you feel comfortable with us running this number? So there's a there's a mutual respect there, um, you know, along the whole sport where I feel like people also like you, the guys that get it in the sport will call and, and yeah. make sure that they're not, you know, that they're okay Stepping with on it. Because, but, because at the end of the day, also like NASCAR does own the number. So when it, it came uh, down to when I was going to Spire, we didn't have a number because it was a new team. They just got the charter. So we laid out the options. It was 771 and they threw out 74. Because Dad once had some success with it, I didn't really want that. But Tommy was Tommy Baldwin was running the seven part time, and seven's my favorite number. So we called Tommy, said, "Hey man, like, are you gonna utilize a number? And if you're not gonna run full time, like, could we use it? We'll, you know, throw some love your way or whatever it takes to to get the number because Tommy's dad, Tommy Senior, passed away driving the seven. So that was always." you know, something within the community that you knew Tommy ran the seven because that was his dad, seven and Y. So you have to also take into consideration like Kurt did in 23XI, 23.11, Colin Kyle Petty, because there still are those sentimental values to numbers, no matter what, what number it is. The sponsors change, but the numbers don't. And that number is where that, it's like on a soccer team, like the badge is where they like, they pay honor to that. It's like you're honoring those that drove that number before you when you drive it. 
Yeah, but I could argue, I can make a whole argument too. The driver's brand is carries a little more weight than the number itself. But that is another conversation for another day. We could argue about till the cows come home. What other questions we got? We've got one more from J underscore Loomis 48, and they ask weirdest fan interaction. Um, uh, I love the one. I, I had a, uh, I actually had a good one, not a weird one today or, or this past weekend. So, and they also were the penny stackers of the week. So I just transitioned that into that. So this, let me clarify, this was not weird. So we have a shit day on Saturday. We are 30th. We are, we qualify 31st. I feel like I didn't do a good job. I feel like the car is terrible. I'm sulking, right? So all I want to do is I leave the track. I drive to a spot for lunch. I sit at the bar by myself and just sulk and eat a chicken sandwich. I'm walking to the bathroom. Zach and Brittany, who I come to find out, Zach says, hey, man, you call a joint? I'm like, matter of fact, I am. So we start chopping it up for a couple minutes. Friendly, friendly folks in town to watch the race. He says, hey, why don't you all come sit with me at the bar? I'm, already, I'm lonely anyway. So we sat down, bullshitter 45 minutes, made some new friends. And uh, so that happens often um, to where you just, I don't know, like I'm, I go out and one of my favorite things to do is just sit at the bar and eat dinner or lunch by myself. It's kind of sad, but that's just what I do because I have no friends. So it was cool to meet Zach and Brittany on there and, uh, you know, just talk to them about the sport, tell them about the podcast and tell them they're going to be the penny stackers of the week. So congratulations. That's a big honor. My favorite one is when the guy told you to cut your hair. The worst one, I, this is really isn't a question for me, but I'm going to go out there when I'm leaving track and people are like, give me your hat. I'm like, hey man, I need this hat. <laughs> this is the only hat that I, I only keep one hat. Hey man, give me your hat. You get them for free. I'm like I bought this hat. Bro, race fans ask for all sorts of stuff. And all I'm asking for you is for you to like and subscribe to this podcast. Just review it. Leave, leave us something nice. We read them occasionally. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy. We do care what you think, and we care that you listen. We care that you yell at us, that you listen to Second Pennies each and every week. So thank you for tuning in. I know this is a long one. We had some great conversation, and we will talk to you all next week right here on Second Pennies.